This is Frank About Sports, a.k.a. The Old Man. You're listening to the official Mets Weekly Podcast, hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold back. Make sure to head over to our YouTube channel and follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. So with that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show. So do you guys know what you call a patriotic serial killer? Jason Pridey. Okay. It's episode one of the Mets Weekly Podcast. We've got tons of things to discuss, so let's waste no time. Mets fans, welcome to 60 Minutes of Brutal Honesty. Let's roll the intro. All right, so for those of you who have not watched us on our YouTube channel or have watched us on TikTok or any other platform, this is Mets Weekly, and it's the four of us, brutally honest Mets fans, and I have three co-hosts on the screen with me. We'll start with Andrew. You can introduce yourself, say what you need to do at the top of your head, opening statements for episode one. So far, so good. Uh, Cohen's filling holes. They're not done. I still think they're going to probably spend about another $400 million. So. Yeah, I'm pretty excited with some of the additions, but obviously we know the Mets can never win anything with Darren Ruff on the roster. So until that changes, <laughs> unfortunately, you can add anybody you want, but with Darren Ruff, mm, Mets are in trouble. Mets are in trouble. Yeah, I mean, at least we finally got a big week. It meant a lot of videos and streams for you guys. So it definitely is exciting. But like we said, there still is more work to be done. There's still plenty of time because, you know, at this time last year, we we're in the middle of a lockout. So at least we don't have that going. It just feels like we're at that time where any moment something big can happen. So it's always an exciting time of the year. So for those of you listening to us on the eight different platforms that we are available on, we are going to discuss the most recent week and probably the last few weeks uh, because this is episode one. So lots to get into here. Let's start with the main topic. And I already know that Andrew and I will probably get into some kind of screaming match over this one because I've been putting it off until now. Jacob deGrom is gone. Off to Texas for five years, $185 million with a sixth-year player option. DeGrom leaves a eight-year career in Queens where he collected the NL Rookie of the Year in 2014, four All-Star selections, and back-to-back Cy Young Awards in 2018 and 2019. The drama was pretty crazy. I mean, as far as just this year, the fact that they signed Verlander, it's like, I guess I'm okay with it because at least you still have a good pitcher at the top. But I still don't love the way the Mets went about it before signing Justin Verlander. I still feel that it just looked very uh, half-assed, if you would say. If we want to be really honest, that's how it looked because it just didn't look very prepared. I, I believe that if you have a guy that's been in your organization for so many years, you'd have a pretty good idea of like, okay, is this a guy that we want to keep around forever? Is this a guy that we might not want to re-sign? Someone that if we know we're not going to re-sign, maybe we should think about trading him. Even if it's not this year, uh, maybe the year before because it's hard for me to believe that all of a sudden this year when the season and the match like, you know what? Maybe we don't want to keep the Grom anymore. Like, it was that just a last-minute decision for them, and that's why they found themselves in the situation where they were at, where it's like, you know what? We know he wants more than three years, but there's no way we would ever give him more than three years. So 
I just don't get what happened. Like, where was the fallout in between that it got to this point? Because if that's the case, in 2021, he could have been traded and you could have got even more back for him. And you wouldn't have to be filling in these holes with older guys, injury prone guys. And you just have a much better chance at that sustained winning, that long term winning where you have a bunch of young pieces that you could build around instead of just holding on to guys and then not getting much back from, oh my gosh, you get a third round pick, fourth round pick from, wow. I mean, not all third round picks, fourth round picks are going to hit. So if it's up to me, I'd have a few, you know, top five prospects than a third round, fourth round pick if I knew that there was no way I was going to keep Jacob DeGrom long term. So I don't love the preparation, the way they went about it. The fact they signed Verlander, okay, for this year and next year, I guess it makes up for it. But I just think long term, that isn't the way that they should be handling these kind of things. Anyone can be traded. So it was possible that they could have done it for good asset management, but the Mets have really just not done that well in the past. Yeah, um, I think I went through the five stages of grief. You know, uh, first I was in denial, then you start uh, bargaining, and then, you know, all the other ones that come with it. Uh, I think I got over pretty quickly and partly because the Mets – were uh, swift to pivot and go and sign Verlander, which is nice. I didn't get that warm, fuzzy feeling that I got when, you know, the Mets traded for Lindor or when the Mets have made other big moves in the past. I think partly because we lost Jacob DeGrom. Um, but for this year, for next year, it's the right move. It keeps the Mets rotation at the top uh, intact and gives them a chance to go out and win and hopefully go and win any potential playoff series. Like we were hoping Verlander, Scherzer, Scherzer DeGrom would this past year. Um, so, you know, they keep that hope alive moving forward. Um, as far as the actual DeGrom negotiations, how it all went, it's very strange. We had heard all these rumblings for the last year, maybe year and a half, about how DeGrom was not happy. And for the most part, we heard we thought it was because he wasn't happy with the Mets organization. Now we're hearing it's because he didn't like New York. He didn't like the politics. Obviously, you can't blame him for wanting to go to Texas and get that state tax, uh, income tax from whatever, you know what I mean, state income-free tax. Anyway, um, you know, it's very strange how it all went down and how, you know, he just had so much disdain for, for the city or for the state of New York. Um, I can't say that I was, like, ever a proponent of trading him in the past, although it seems like the Mets knew he was going to be getting out of here. If just took one of those teams – just one team to offer him that deal, and it turns out to be the Rangers. But once we heard the actual details of the contract he signed, I wasn't too upset about it because that would have been ridiculous for the Mets to do. And from what we've heard from reporters, the Rangers were the only team that were willing to go five years on Jacob DeGrom, not the Yankees, not the Astros, none of the other teams that were rumored to be looking at him, not the Dodgers, who could sorely use an ace in their rotation. So, I mean, honestly, you can't really blame the Mets for how it went. Um, and an interesting thing, I'll let you guys chew on it and uh, think about this one. But, you know, do you remember a year and a half ago, about uh, maybe August, when DeGrom was still on the injured list? Mets were playing in Miami. Sandy Alderson calls a press conference on the field and says, Jacob DeGrom has a partially torn UCL. DeGrom comes out very shortly after that and says, no, I don't. I mean, it sounds to me like there was like this under-the-table handshake agreement that there was something very weird with Jacob's uh, medicals. Maybe it is a partially torn AC or UCL. And Sandy Alderson had a slip up. Or Sandy Alderson purposely divulged that information to try and be able to get DeGrom back on a short deal. So who really knows what's wrong with Jacob DeGrom? Who really knows what those medicals actually say? Why would Sandy Alderson come out a year and a half ago and say he has a partially torn UCL if he doesn't? I mean, something is still very fishy there. All I can say is it's not our problem at this point, and that's, that's that. 
Andrew, bring it on, bitch. What do you got? He was... We thought the Mets would bring him back on a Scherzer-type deal. Everyone thought, when the beginning of the offseason, three-year deal, stupid AAV, he would have been back with the Mets, or at least that would have been the deal that he would have signed with if his new team, whatever. Three years is probably what it is, and for especially an injury-prone-type pitcher. Three years, maybe an opt-out or a player option in the third, like Scherzer's deal set up, would work. And then here comes Texas, which they've done this throughout their history. No one thought A-Rod would get anything close to $245 million. And what, what team does it? The Texas Rangers come out of nowhere, overpay, and then regret it in two months or two years. Could I see this be the same thing again, where they're throwing a bunch of money at Seager and all these other guys just to regret it in two years? Very possible. Did he want to leave? Did he not? You know, we're going to get Buster Oli, you know, the number one Mets hater, going to say, oh, he was gone, you know, as soon as he signed the first deal with the Mets. We're never going to know. Would I be surprised if Jake wanted out? Especially the kind of guy he is. He's not a New York guy. He's, you know, wanted to be just stay in the shadows, do my work, go home. He's not a nightlife, New York high energy guy. That's who he is. So would I be surprised he just wants out? I wouldn't be. And he got an offer he couldn't refuse. The Mets were not Touching a four-year deal. The Mets did the right thing, and they were quick to pivot with Verlander. Is Verlander a better pitcher than DeGrom? No. But do who do I have more faith in maybe making 25 starts this year? Jacob DeGrom or Justin Verlander? I have higher faith in Justin Verlander doing that than Jacob DeGrom. But, you know, as soon as the deal was happened, of course, we're all in shock. But then less than maybe a couple hours. I went to Chili's after, so I was pretty much forgetting about Jacob DeGrom. So. We all know that I think out of all four of us, this probably hit me the hardest out of everyone because this is somebody that I grew up watching and admired for so long. From the top of my head, everything we have heard is a lie. Whether Jake wants to stay, wants to leave, he doesn't like being a Met. That one about him hating Cohen and liking the Wilpons, all of it. Bullshit. The truth is, no one knows, and no one will ever know. The Mets just tried to save face here. The entire week before he left, the New York Post articles of the Mets believing he wanted to stay, giving the contract edge to the Mets, believes in the Mets' future, and then also from the first pitch that Jake threw in D.C. when he returns from injury, John Heyman, who also writes for the New York Post, starts this whole lament about Jake hating the Mets and wanting to leave. In spring training, the Mets and DeGrom discussed an extension. Jake wanted five years in the 180 to 190, 195 range. The Mets rightfully turned it down. I'm sure with this injury history, that's perfectly fine. They let the season play out. We all know that the Mets did not want to give $40 million plus long term. So they offered three years, $120 million. So don't tell me that Jake ignored all the texts from Epler and he didn't want to give the Mets a chance to counter-offer. You told him to fuck off in spring and did nothing after that, okay? You offered a higher AV to Scherzer and Verlander. Stop lying to me. I don't like to be lied to. At the end of the day, thank you to Jacob deGrom. I'm going to miss you. It's been great. I mean, honestly, I really think he has a partially torn UCL. I really do. I mean, this whole scapula thing, like it could be a trickle down effect where he's relying more on other body parts, his shoulder and whatnot, his back, his scapula. And that's why he injured that in spring training. I mean, then it turned into stiffness. Then it was soreness after throwing bullpens or minor league starts. Something is not right. And honestly, I just don't understand why Sandy Alderson would say it was partially torn UCL if it wasn't. And for me personally, I think the Rangers know that. And I think the other teams know that. And that's why the Rangers, a desperate team for pitching and to be relevant again, are willing to take the chance. Because they saw him go out. And let's be honest, for most of his starts, Jacob deGrom looked like Jacob deGrom in 2022. He had a couple little bad ones. And it's not fair to hold him to his standard, which is 
eight innings of one-hit ball, when he doesn't do that, the whole world freaks out. That's just not fair. I mean, honestly, Jacob DeGrom looked like Jacob DeGrom. So for me, I mean, I think the Rangers are 50-50 on this. They could get that, Jake. They could get one that's going to require a major surgery in the next year. And I think every other team in baseball recognized that, but the Rangers were desperate. One risk that I was willing to take with an injured pitcher, this would have been it. I mean, I'm not saying that I would have went five years, $185 million. I'm not saying that I would have been like, okay, I would have given that to him straight up, full, no guarantee, no clauses in the contract or whatever. From the reports that we're hearing, from the contract edges that he was going to give to the Mets, I would have given him five years. I would have done it. I mean, I personally, for me, Carson, I feel like you're, it's too much, uh, too much feeling being put into it, like sentimentality and, you know, emotion. You know, I don't think you're replacing the dominance of Jacob deGrom. You're not replacing any of that value with Jacob deGrom. You compare him to all of these guys like Rodon and Verlander. You're having, you have the same injury risk with those guys as well. Verlander, of course, coming off of a Tommy John surgery. And then, of course, pitching to the Cy Young. We'll get into that later. Into age 40 now, the amount of innings he pitched, that hurts his case more than helps it with mileage on his arm. And then Rodon, of course, having those those uh, injury history before. And what was it? Multiple Tommy Johnson, multiple, uh, multiple injuries and multiple uh, surgeries before then. Granted, he's a little bit younger. You also have that factor of Rodon not pitching. We don't know what he's going to do with pitching in New York because that matters a lot more than people think it does. I would have done this with... The amount of contracts that they had tied up for just short term. Again, it's one of those things where you sign Max Scherzer. You're here to win now. I don't care about the back end of that contract right now. In the future, when all those short-term contracts come off, you move money around later on. But right now, we're worrying about right now. Either way, I'm going to miss Jake. He'll always have that special place in my heart as a all-time Met or whatever. Uh, I'm sad that he's not going to be a Met for his entire career. And I'd say that that kind of made it a little of a sour situation when they did sign Verlander because I was like, yeah, okay, well, we knew this was going to be one of the replacements possibly if he does leave. It, it was a tough few days, I'd say, after he did sign because it's 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 a weird realization. I took it better than I thought I would. Yeah, I think the only other thing is that, like, is there any sense of, like, loyalty? Because we could talk about, like, okay, from a strategic standpoint, from a value standpoint, age, Andrew stuff, but, like, is there, any to, is there anything to this was our guy? This was a homegrown guy. Like, we want him to be a Met for life. Are we willing to go whether it's the extra year, maybe a little extra money to ensure that? Because one thing that Steve Cohen talked about when he took over was, you know, losing Tom Seaver, how upsetting that was as a Mets fan. And for the young generation, the people who never seen Tom Seaver, this was kind of like their guy. I mean, this is the guy, like you said, Carson, this is the guy you grew up with. This is the guy you watched for a lot of years you hope was going to be a Met for life. And now he's gotten away as well. So I just wondered, like, was that part of the mess thinking at all? Like, does loyalty mean anything? Uh, you know, I, that's one of the things I do wonder about, because uh, I think you saw, again, I, I talked about this on a what video was or stream, whatever. It reminds me a lot of Freddie Freeman. Like, Freddie did not want to be a Dodger. He was waiting for the Braves just to give that extra year, but they never did. So he said, you know what? I have to take the L.A. deal. And I don't think Deron was to that point, but I think that if the mess did all from five years with the six, blah, 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 I felt like he would have stayed. I mean, because, again, like, if it was so obvious that he didn't like New York, didn't want to be a Met, all that stuff, like I've said many times, you should have traded him. If it was just so glaring that he never wanted to be here long term, you should have just traded him. Because why? if you knew this was going to be the end result, why didn't you do something about it earlier? 
So, I mean, that's the way I look. It's all of these reports that just get me so confused that bottle up like this severity of the New York media as to, well, Jacob deGrom was never with his teammates. Jacob deGrom was never around anything. It was very distant. That's kind of how he is. Like, he's a very like preserved person he just goes out there and pitches like he's not there to full-on party like a nut job or whatever and celebrate like crazy he's just one of those guys he's not on social media he's not on any of those things he's just that's just kind of how he is and from all of these you know conversations we're hearing from Mark Canov, he told me he wants to come back, and he told me he wants to return. He told me he liked me as a teammate or whatever it was. What is the actual story? We never will know, because that's just how Jacob deGrom is. He just keeps a lot of things private, and he has every right to do that. So we can go on hours and hours about what Jacob deGrom meant to this franchise, or if he's a traitor or not, or we're pissed off about him, or we're not pissed off, or we're going to miss him, and everybody's crying, everyone's upset, and the whole world's going to explode. The man they brought in to replace him, or at least tried to replace him, because you're never going to replace Jacob deGrom, he's the greatest pitcher of all time. Justin Verlander, early this week, the Mets signed another first ballot Hall of Famer to a two-year 866 million dollar contract with a vesting option in year three verlander is now 40 years old and coming off an incredible return from tommy john surgery winning the al cy young award we can go on and on about the amazing career that verlander has had 2006 rookie of the year nine-time all-star two-time world series champion three-time cy young award winner and of course the al mvp in 2011. Verlander now reunites with his old buddy Max Scherzer where they spent five years together in Detroit from 2010 to 2014. I mean it's what had to happen it was the, the Mets had to pivot to Verlander and it's compared to past regimes that oh you lose an ace Rick Porcello and Michael Walker you're replaced now you lose an ace and you get the best pitcher in the American League to come over and be in your rotation and reunite with his former teammate and the number one and number two active strikeout leaders. So everyone's been saying, like, oh, he's 40. What else has he got to pitch for? There isn't a feud in between the two of them. Who wants to be that active strikeout leader? And every start, it could be like, hey, I got 12. Oh, I got 14. You know, it could be an instant battle between the two of them to say who is that top uh, active strikeout leader. And it's two years. They've made it clear that, you know, this is the two-year window that they want to win, you know, with these two guys at the top. You know, we'll see if they add more. To fill out the rotation, but you know, two Hall of Fame type pitchers at the top on that two year deal. And what else can you say? Yes, would have been nice to go after get Carlos Rodal, maybe, but it would have been a longer term deal. Yes, you're getting a younger pitcher with higher upside than Verlander, but who knows? Like Mets fan, like Carson said, we don't know if he could pitch in New York. Verlander has pitched on big stages. He obviously, Houston and Texas is a decent size, you know, decent size. It's not New York, but we've seen him obviously in the world series. It is his bugaboo, which is something we will have to bring up. His postseason this year wasn't great. He had three bad, two bad starts and two good starts. So you don't, you don't love that, you know, and especially as he's aging, but he's a type of pitcher where he's not relying on a hundred. Like, yes, he does. He does still overpower, but he has a different, he has a bigger arsenal. He's not going to be like, oh, if the fastball's not working, he can go to the, the curveball. He can go to a slide. He's more of a pitcher than just the outright uh, thrower of, you know, just he's throwing 100 miles an hour, everything. And he, he like Chris Bassett to an extent, where he has an arsenal, he could pitch. And he's already said he wants to pitch till he's 45. And he's one of these guys who will adapt to whatever is happening in, in a current day. Let's say if he has a, no game plan going in. If something uh, changes, 
he will adapt on the fly. And obviously with him and Scherzer, putting those minds back together, two psychopaths at the top of the rotation. Again, it's not Jacob DeGrom. You're not going to get Jacob DeGrom, but it's a pretty damn good replacement. No, I mean, definitely like Andrew covered. How could you not be excited about what Justin Verlander could bring to the table? Uh, I know the postseason this year wasn't particularly great, but it's good they just had a lot of postseason experience because you know, being in New York, there's going to be a lot of pressure. So he's been in as big a pressure situation as you could have, you can be in with the multiple World Series that he's participated in. So he should be able to handle it because we talk so much about like, oh, well, you had a guy that was good as a med. You don't want to take that for granted. Bring someone who's never played in New York before. But I think that the fact that Verlander is an older guy, has been through so much, it, you kind of feel like with Max Scherzer, like it'd be an easy transition for them. And I feel like that's going to be the same for Verlander. And like we said before, the main thing you hope is that he just stays healthy. That's all that really that matters because as long as he does that, he's going to pitch really good. Like he's Justin Verlander. Like I said, he's a lot of different ways he could be successful. He's a pitcher, not a thrower, you know, all the things that you want. Uh, and it's going to be exciting to, you know, whether. and I wonder if they are going to do the whole, like, they'll start the year pitching back-to-back. And then at the middle of the season, like maybe around the All-Star break, whatever, they'll kind of break them up like they tried to with, oh, don't let the Grom face the Yankees. That's why him and Scherzer aren't pitching back-to-back. Even though by the time season was over, they ended up pitching back-to-back anyway, so that didn't work. But I am curious to see how they're just going to align the rotation, if they're going to go with that kind of uh, blueprint again. Yeah, I mean, it was the move that had to be made. It's uh, pretty similar to, you know, the situation the Mets have with Brandon Nimmo. Uh, You know, there wasn't really a replacement for Brandon Nimmo. Um, Center field devoid of a lot of talent around the league, especially two-way talent like he has become. Um, You know, there weren't really any aces in free agency available outside of Justin Verlander. And we said there's no replacing Jacob DeGrom, but this is the next best thing that was available unless you were swinging a huge trade. Um, And what it says to me more than anything is that, obviously, as we know, Steve Cohen is willing to go out, spend money, and put this team in a position to succeed as much as he possibly can. And it also tells me that while he's looking to spend the money and willing to spend the money, he also has a vision for this future because he could have easily went out, traded Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio for a guy like Shane Bieber or someone from the Rays like McClanahan um, or one of those dudes. Um, instead, you know, they go out, they spend the money, and it shows to me that not only do we have this two-year window, but he's trying to get this farm system, giving it a chance to develop so that hopefully two years from now, these guys, the Mauricios, the Beatys, the Alvarez's are core pieces of this team. And you can still incrementally add other guys from free agency or via trade if they're making a lot of money. Um, If you look at their payroll next season, a lot of money comes off the books. It goes down to $232 million for their luxury tax penalty or hit. And then if you look the next year after that, depending on what Scherzer ends up doing, opting in or opting out, then it goes down to $113 million committed on the books. So the money is never ending as it is already but we're gonna get right back under that luxury tax threshold potentially and even open up more opportunities to spend again and again and again no matter who it is the Mets are always going to be in it and I think this is a great idea for Verlander to match him with Scherzer for at least one maybe two years give it another run but it's not as if this window is closing if you ask me yeah I feel better than I did the day that they signed him uh he was on my eight free agents to avoid mainly just because I preferred either Jacob deGrom and also it was just the health risk was pretty much the same as it was with Jacob deGrom coming into a 40 year old season do I feel 
like this guy is going to pitch like an ace down the line? Probably not, but I'm not going to get into deep depth into that. It's a move that had to be made. We already know that Carlos Rodon was going to wait out the free agent market. There was no guarantee that you were going to get him, and he's also looking to get a seven, six-year deal, which, again, looks like the Mets are not okay doing that. The whole feeling of having those two Hall of Famers, first ballot Hall of Famers at the top of your rotation, it's definitely cool to have guys who have that experience to bring it into the postseason and take you far. And it's definitely going to be a sight to see once, like Andrew said, the two active strikeout leaders, hopefully we can have some kind of tracker on the scoreboard or something where they just flip it back and forth, have some friendly competition with that. Who knows? I'm usually, this is an idea I usually don't like but especially it makes more sense for this rotation i know frank has brought up in past years especially if they do sign a kodai sang and maybe they add even some more depth a six-man rotation might have to happen for this team this year just to keep these guys healthy all the way through i know i am not i usually don't like six man like i would like to get more out of my aces but the fact that they're both 40 you have to really consider and especially if you do so uh, sign Kodai Senga, he's used to pitching once a week. And if you do do a six-man rotation, that's pretty much what, you know, it could line up. He's only pitching once a week or worst case, it's a Sunday and a Monday or a Sunday and, you know, Sunday and opposite Sunday, whatever. But, you know, it would be something that the Mets, if they do obviously have to sign Kodai Senga and add, if they were going to add some more depth, it would be probably an idea. Again, I'm never for six-man rotation. Knowing your roster, it would be especially if they do want to see Peterson and McGill get some starts occasionally to give those guys. And if you do sign another guy, it would probably be smart for this team to really, really think about having a six-man rotation. If they do do a six-man rotation, because um, I'm all for keeping the aces healthy, uh, but that puts David Peterson into the rotation. So no, it's illegal. Now the Mets continued on to get that rotation help by also signing Jose Quintana to a two-year, $26 million contract. Quintana spent 2022 in Pittsburgh and St. Louis, posting a 2.93 earned run average, a 2.99 in fielding independent pitching, and striking out 20.2% of batters in 165.2 innings pitched. He's a four-pitch, soft-tossing lefty with great command of the zone. He is entering a 34-year-old season, coming off a 3.5 win year in 2022. Fun fact, Quintana was originally signed as an international free agent with the Mets back in 2006, where he played rookie ball in the Venezuelan Summer League. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't blow you away by any means, but you're not asking him to be your number three or anything. You're asking him to basically take the role that Taiwan Walker has had for the last two years. Uh, you look at the contract Taiwan Walker just signed with our rival Phillies, and I'm laughing to the bank with this Jose Quintana signing. I mean, two years, $26 million, correct me if I'm wrong. Meanwhile, Taiwan Walker gets four years and, what, $72 million? I mean just crazy to me and uh, obviously the upside was a little bit higher with Taiwan Walker I don't think that's the case anymore I mean he's getting up there in age he's shown what he is sometimes he's on other times he's a train wreck by the second inning and you know he's always going to be on the injured list at least two or three times during the year um, I was trying to get the stats on here on Walker real quick did he ever go 165 innings in either of the two seasons he was with the Mets Taiwan Walker I mean he did it Taiwan Walker in 2021 went 159 innings. In 2022, went 157 innings. Meanwhile, Quintana comes in. 
He's thrown 165 last year. And he's coming at a fraction of the cost. And again, you're just asking him to be that fourth or fifth starter. I still don't love having Carrasco in here. We know he melts down too. So I really would. It's important they get another big time starter like Senga. I don't think Rodon's going to be that guy. Uh, I personally would still advocate for Chris Bassett if it comes back at the right price. Um, but, you know, obviously Carrasco and uh, uh, Quintana is not exactly a scary four and five in the back of that rotation. So hopefully they do get a surefire number three um, to, to add to that. But I also like Quintana in an of himself, a soft tossing lefty. Haven't really had someone like that in a while. And it's a nice change from the heat and the gas that Scherzer and Verlander pump. So nice little uh, change of pace kind of guy. And hey, if he throws strikes and doesn't walk people, we know Carson will like him. He doesn't walk people. He never got to 160 innings in each season with the Mets, but he did get to 160 excuses. Quintana, he's a really interesting guy because of just the way his career has gone and just the ups and downs he's had. I mean, this is a guy that he was with the White Sox. He was a really nice pitcher, and he was like, wow, that's a big commodity. Let's try to trade him. Cubs pick him up, starts to go downhill, and then 2021 was awful, and then he's out of the major leagues. I mean, this is a guy that ended up overseas in 2021, has this huge bounce-back year in 2022 with the Pirates, then was traded to the Cardinals, and he was a guy that even though he got traded, he still was able to be really successful. So that was a good sign to see because that's something we talked about in another video that hasn't been posted yet about guys that, you know what, they get traded in the middle of the season, and then things just completely go downhill. So it was good to see that Quintana was able to keep that up. And he's a guy that, you know, the last time Mets had a soft-tossing lefty was Jason Vargas. So as long as he doesn't turn into him, we should be okay. And what I find interesting about him is that he does throw strikes, but he's able to still not give up that hard of contact, even though he's a guy that is putting the ball in the zone. So you know, whatever adjustments that he made you know, between coming overseas and then back to America, it really made a big deal. And and like you guys said, like with this market, only two years, 26 million, that's really good. And it stays that whole two-year window that we talked about earlier. And again, keeping those long-term books nice and clean. That The fact that, you know what? His money will be gone right when he'd hit 35, 36. You know he's only going to get worse. So the contract is just long enough where he gives you that short-term security. But then, you know, down the road, you have a lot more flexibility. Okay, so Tim Healy does not need to be afraid of Jose Quintana. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. And we okay. don't either that he's just going to be absolutely brutal. But what, Andrew? What? Are we just disrespecting Dick Mountain? Did he not pitch for the Mets and is a soft tossing lefty? We just I mean, dis- he was a, dis- he he was was a, a trade deadline guy. Lefty. I, I wouldn't say he's a soft tosser. I think that's just basically his entire game. It's not his specialty. He's just. Again, this wasn't a guy I'm like, oh, you know, at the beginning of the offseason, I wasn't like, oh, man, I hope they signed Quintana. There was like, I had at least 15 other pitchers ahead of him. But again, he did have a good year in St. Louis, and I have seen him pitch. Obviously, uh, Sarah Lang put out a very, like, just cute note being like, the Mets have three have signed two and had Scherzer have three pitchers that made game one starts in the wildcard series on their current rotation in Quintana, Verlander. He's a lefty. He's not going to hit you with the hard velocity. A small thing, which is a benefit for the Mets, point four three. What do the Phillies and Braves do very well? Give me a sub four ERA. Throw me 160 to 170 innings. Be kind of a, a lower grade Chris Bassett. <laughs> Usually he's a five and fly type guy, but... If he can get deeper into games, be great six innings, and then maybe you pair him with, you know, tack a guy like Ryan Yarborough or someone to that extent in the free agent market. Last couple of years, you've lost your inning eaters and Strowman and were most likely losing Bassett. So this is their replacement for Bassett. And him being left-handed, to have a number one lefty not named David Peterson in the rotation, 
good for me. I think this is a high five, a high five starter on a championship caliber team. And then he's on a regular day, he's a four. And then in emergency, he could be a number three. I like Quintana. I think he's a decent lefty. A four-win pitcher? I mean, I'll take that. I mean, adding four wins to the roster, why not? The, he doesn't have this explosive or very amazing stuff, but he knows how to locate. And uh, he doesn't walk anyone, which is great. Don't walk people. It's bad. It's very, very bad. I just like that that one start he did make against Philadelphia in the playoffs. It was a really good start. So, I mean, at least that's a good sign. That you, Again, we, we talk so much about it. Like, you hope that when these big moments, these guys come through. And if they do sign a Sanga, he technically shouldn't be in your playoff rotation. I mean, then you're kind of the him and Carrasco are battling get out for who would get that potential game four start. So we'll, we'll see if, if they make another move, because I think if they do make a, a, another move, it becomes even better signing. So we'll, we'll see how we feel at, by the time the offseason is over. Let's move to my favorite addition so far of this offseason. The Mets traded a pitching prospect known as Keyshawn Askew to the Rays in exchange for lefty reliever Brooks Raley. Askew is 22 years old, a former 10th round pick by the Mets last year. He's a funky left slot type of guy with lots of command issues. But as for Brooks Raley, he's 34 years old. He's coming off the inevitable breakout season from last year. 2.68 earn run average. 2.74 fielding independent pitching, struck out 27.9% of batters in 53.2 innings pitched. For most of you who don't know who this guy is, because he did pitch for the Rays, he was kind of overshadowed in Houston. In my opinion, this is the best lefty reliever in baseball. You can give me your Josh haters, you can give me your Andrew Chaffins, but in terms of raw ability and talent, it's Brooks Raley. Walks no one, manages contact in an elite level, elite barrel suppressor, four different pitches, including a slider that hangs around that sub 3,000 range. I mean, yeah, you didn't think that was a thing? I know, it's crazy. I don't think I can name every single thing that's elite about this guy, so massive W for Epler all around. I just wanted to give out my two cents about this first because I'm so happy about this move. I love Brooks Raley so much. Yeah, I mean, when that initial report came out that the Mets and the Rays were talking right before uh, the 40-man roster had to be set, I tweeted out, you know, as you know, as a happy, you know, cautious Mets, then be like, hey, would love to see a guy like Raley or Fairbanks or any type of those, any type of the one of their stud relievers. Would have loved them. You know, people were like, and of course, you know, the crappy Twitter accounts go to, oh, we're going to get Tyler Glasnow. No, morons. Tyler Glasnow wasn't getting traded where they just gave him an extension. The Rays don't pay money just to trade him. But Rayleigh is, again, like you said, maybe the most underrated lefty in the game. Yes, he's not a flamethrower. He's not like Hader and Chapman where they're throwing 102, but he gets outs. And he's just, the slider is absolutely filthy. You've seen the Twitter highlights. You you know, people have probably went on YouTube and been like, damn, this dude's slider is just unhittable and he's good against right-handed hitters too and lefties hit, i think a buck 88 i believe it was 40488 ops i believe it's like two i don't know the exact numbers in front of me but again left-handed saw the tweet lefties aren't hitting off and that's what you get in especially going from joelly rodriguez who is a walking heart attack where the bases are loaded we you can blink one minute and there's it's all soft contact but there's still seven runs on the board to going from that to brooks raley is going to be going like from poor pork arm and going to Jacob DeGrom. It is like night and day difference from going from Joelle to Brooks Raley. And John Heyman doesn't even realize we got him. And he's saying when we signed David Robertson, oh, Mets don't need a lefty. No, they got their lefty, and they got one of the best. His two best pitches, 
It's a sinker and a slider. Jeremy Hefner, do your thing. Frank, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a big fan of it, especially, you know, what you're inheriting is with the contract. I mean, that's something that you're not – if Brooks Reddit was a free agent, you would not be able to get him on this kind of contract where the guy's AAV is $5.8 million. You have him, you know, this year, and you have that club option. So it's just like it's everything you could have asked for. And Askew is a guy that, like, he wasn't – even though I liked what I saw from him, he had upside – he wasn't in the top 30 prospects yet. He was a guy that maybe was like sixth round, seventh round, around there when they selected him. So the fact that they turned that pick, who, again, I liked at the time, into, like you said, one of the, at least one of the best lefty relievers in baseball, how could you not like that? I mean, just everything you'd want about it, it's a win-win. And the fact that, like, he came from Tampa Bay, he's fresh off coming from Tampa Bay and Houston, like the two best places you could be compared to when he was in the KBO before that. So he's just another great story where there's a guy that was able to turn around his career. Even though he's a little bit older, that's fine because he relies on movement. He doesn't rely on velocity. So he's a guy that should age perfectly fine. And now, like we say all the time, with the three-batter minimum rule, you need to be able to face lefties. You need to be able to face righties. And it's just really good to have another guy in those high-level spots you can go to. And when you face all the lefties that you're going to face in the National League, it's really good to have him there as a guy that, like you said, you, you just have that flexibility used in so many different roles. And, and that's what really excites me. So he's definitely a much improvement than from what we had last year. No doubt about it. So, I mean, that's all we're asking for. We want some improvement last year. Is he going to help when the Mets only scoring one run, zero runs? No, but at least it's in some area on the team. David. Tony, I know when we uh, were talking about this, when it happened, you didn't even know who this guy was, but uh, anything you would like to add on this? When I uh, first Googled his name, obviously I heard about all the drama surrounding him this past season with the Rays. Uh, yeah. <laughs> putting that to the side, uh, now that I've done my research, uh, obviously great numbers, uh, huge improvement over any other lefty the Mets have had in the bullpen really over the last year or two, uh, especially last year with uh, Rodriguez being the, the lone guy and a little bit of uh, Chas and Shreve. So, yeah, uh, I love it. The numbers are great. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about Askew, but um, seem like pretty raw talent, and I've seen the arm angles that he throws from, and it just doesn't seem like something that's going to last very long. Um but regardless, uh, great to get him here and to get him on that deal uh, for six and a half million dollars in 2023, and a or actually four and a half million this year, and then a club option next year for six and a half million dollars, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in that area. So love that that we not only get him for this year, but potentially for next year at a steal of a cost. Um, you look at what Andrew Shaven's probably going to be asking for after his season, and he's going to want at least two years and at least. 10 to 14 million dollars average annual value you'd imagine so to get this guy for someone that you know really is pretty raw talent and ask you i think it's a home run of a deal love it and on paper already right now i think this bullpen is better than it was going into last season um obviously things changed a little bit with you know Ottavino being as good as he was but Heading into last season, he was kind of a flyer. He was kind of a let's see what he does. So I think right now you look at this nice little triangle at the back end of the rotation or at uh, the bullpen with Diaz and Robertson and Rayleigh to set him up. That's a really nice three-person punch right there. Yeah, I I feel uh, great about this, especially if this is going to be your lone lefty, but we don't know if they're going to add something else. 
we don't know if Joey Lucchese will be healthy. We don't know what is going to be going on with Josh Walker. Maybe they give him a chance. Some guys in the bullpen of some possible lefties they can put in there. But all I can say is that Joely Rodriguez, have fun in Boston. Go fuck yourself. Bye. Well, the impossible happened a few days ago. The Mets have officially brought back their own guy. Brandon Nimmo is staying in Queens on an eight-year, $162 million contract. He, Nimmo joins David Wright and Ed Cranepool for the only Mets to eventually play a thousand games for the franchise the Mets also put a graveyard to sleep of 38 other center fielders to start for the Mets since Carlos Beltran was traded to the Giants back in 2011 look at Toronto they got Kevin Kiermaier playing center field and that was my worst effing nightmare that I'm like oh we're not gonna pay Brandon Nimmo he's only he doesn't steal bases. He's not worth $20 million, <laughs> even though he's the third highest war for a center fielder in all of Major League Baseball. But no, we want Kevin Kiermeyer, or we're going to go call Arizona and go trying to get Alec Thomas. And they asked for Brett Beatty. I could have lost Beatty and Nimmo in a two-week span. You would, I would have been, I, I would have been gone. I would have went to Ethiopia with James McCann if that would have happened. But they had to do it. <laughs> they had to. There was it was look at the options. Either you're taking out your third baseman to try to get a high upside. Yes, Alec Thomas was a top prospect. It would have been a solid, you know, option to build around. But you're going from again a top three center fielder in the game to a top prospect with pedigree, but nor or Kevin Kiermeyer. I don't care, and I know I have made it clear. I hate term with players. I have punched the ground. But I'm allowed one mulligan, and this was the mulligan I'm allowed to see. You know what? I don't care if he's in a wheelchair on an eighth year of that deal. If it becomes another Robinson Cano contract, I do not care. He will give you five years of elite production of the first five years. He'll still be himself, and he will age well because he's not speed dependent, which everyone's like, oh, he doesn't steal bases. He has the eye. Even as you age, you're still going to be a good hitter just because you know you're not allowed to strike zone a la michael brantley which was a comp we saw in the comment section an injured an injury prone outfielder but both guys michael brantley's what age 38 he's still afraid he's still hit yes did he play he's only injured and that's the biggest bugaboo with brandon nemo when he's healthy it's the same thing with jacob Degrom. but i like that the mets took the risk with the position player who will help the team every single day compared to the starting pitcher that helps you only one. I alluded to it earlier in a different discussion, I think, about Verlander. Um, there was really no replacing Brandon Nimmo with the current state of free agency and just the center field position. It's, for the most part, devoid of talent league-wide. There's a few here and there, but there was no one that you were going to get to replace Brandon Nimmo at this point in baseball, uh, you know, league-wide. Uh, it just wasn't available. So, you know... I'm thanking God we're not going to have to watch Kiermaier. I'm thanking God we're not going to have to hope and pray that we didn't make a bad move trading Beatty for Alec Thomas, which I think would have been a horrific decision. So I'm glad that didn't happen. And uh, we're not going to have a you know Kevin Pillar situation on our hands where there's just zero production at the plate, but a good fielder. You know I didn't want to see that. Brandon Nimmo has come into his own over the last two years, not only as a tremendous offensive talent which we've known for years now but now as a two-way player his defense has really taken so many strides and uh they're a dime a dozen these days they really are you know Springer's now going toward the end of his career you know his prime and so really that was the next guy and uh, uh while Nimmo will never be a George Springer as far as the power numbers and everything you know they're comparable in that sense and so a lot of people are saying 
I can't believe Brandon Nimmo got George Springer money. I mean, I can because the guy has steadily improved in basically every single aspect of his game over the last several years. And like Andrew said, he's not speed dependent. A good eye, that's not something that ever goes unless you stop taking care of your vision. But I don't think that'll ever be the case with Nimmo. He'll always be an on-base machine for the most part. And uh, yeah, no, honestly, it's a, it's a great deal. And with so many holes entering this free agency to have lost Jacob DeGrom, you couldn't also lose Brandon Nemo. You just couldn't. Um, and so to pivot to get Verlander and then to uh, get Nemo back, you know, we're, we're whole again. We still have moves that need to be made, but at the very least, I don't think we're worse than last year. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely was very surprised uh, for multiple reasons. I mean, reason number one, like you said in the beginning, the Mets retain their own talent. Like, oh my gosh, finally. They're not gonna, like we talked about with DeGrom, they're not going to let another one get away. And I can't believe that they went eight years because we had that conversation earlier with DeGrom. Oh, can't go five years, can't go six years, whatever. I guess for a hitter, it's a little different. Even though Nemos has injury history, no doubt about it. But the fact they went eight years for a guy that they said is probably going to be a center fielder. And I guess it's like once Marte is done, Nemos probably going to go over to where Marte was. It'd just be a nice even swap right there. But uh, I just think that, like Tony said, the other options, as far as two-way players, it just wasn't there. I mean, you're either going to have a, co- a good corner hitting outfielder and move Marte or Canna to center, or you were getting a defensive first center fielder, which I just didn't think was the answer for this team. I think with the offensive struggles that they had last year, they couldn't make their offense even worse. I, I just think that, yes, it's a lot of money. Yes, it's like, oh, my gosh, Mets have, you know, the, big, the highest payroll, and they're the same team. It's better than the alternative of, of letting them a walk and just having an, another hole in the lineup. So, even though eight years was a lot, it was a move they had to do. I'm surprised they did it, but I'm glad they did it. So, I mean, I'm all. What was Nimmo making in, what was it, ARB 3? What was he making? Was it? He got a raise. He got to 12-7. No, it was 12-7. I, I made a big, he's like, 12-7? That a boy, Nim. So, basically, he got like an $8 million raise yearly. Okay, great. I love the AAV. I think it's great. The term? Whatever. I mean, that's that's just what happens. You have to overpay, whether it's in term or in AV. I'm okay with it being term here, because again, like we said, this is a guy that's going to play every single day, hopefully, when he's, if he's healthy. Nimmo is a very important player to this team, and I think if he did leave, a lot of Mets fans will realize how important he really is. I know we have a lot of guys in this lineup that get on base... They don't hit a lot of home runs. They're table setters. But Brandon Nimmo is a different type of guy. A five-win player getting $20 million a year, that's a steal for me. Eight years, whatever. Again, that shoves to the back of my mind right now because, again, the mindset that they set with Max Scherzer, you're here to win now. And that's what they proved. Bringing back one of their own guys. I can't believe they actually did it. I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of them right now. At one point when DeGrom left, there was a thought, and I talked about this before, where I was like, okay, if it's not going to happen with DeGrom, who is it going to happen with? And it happened with Brandon Nimmo. So I'm happy. I'm so happy for Nimmo. He earned it. Can't wait to see him for the next eight years in Queens. If we believe anything that we read, it was that the market was just crazy, that there were so many teams that were in on Brandon Nimmo. So if that was the case, you knew you're going to be overpaying, like you said, cards. It's going to be one way or the other, whether it was money, whether it was the years. I don't know how many teams won eight years. I think that might have been what kind of got the Mets to get that last punch they needed to really get the knockout and bring them back. So 
I think that, you know, none of us would have done eight years if it was up to us in the ideal world. You don't give him eight years, but it was what they had to do just to secure getting him for all the years before year eight, year seven. So I think that's what also determined that contract was just the market that was there for him is that, you know, like we said, he's a hot commodity. Two-way center fielders don't come on the free agent market very often. And when they do, you got to capitalize. And at least the Mets were able to do yeah, that. Yeah, and speaking of the idea where you either have to pay and get burned on the AAV or on the length of a contract, I would 100% go for the length of the contract every time. Look at the way that teams are spending in Major League Baseball right now. I mean, billions have been spent already this offseason. We can't imagine what it's going to look like eight years from now, and especially with Steve Cohen. We're already paying $20 million this year for Robinson Cano. Who cares what Brandon Nimmo is going to be getting $20 million six, seven years from now? I mean, it already hasn't prevented Cohen from going out and spending and improving the team. I can't be worried about, uh, you know, giving $20 million to Brandon Nimmo if he's not the same guy that he was previously. You move into left field, that's where his noodle arm belongs anyway by year six, year seven. And uh, it's not something that I think is going to bite them in the butt. For the back end of that contract, I will say... And I'm just beating a dead horse here and maybe just like completely putting gasoline on a fire here and, and probably opening a huge other conversation. It does suck not to have PCA for center field. I, I get that and I agree with you. It does suck. But again, then we would be putting a lot of our eggs in the same basket that yeah, we're course. doing with Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty. We hope, yes, these go, that they're going to develop and be impact players on this team. But that does not always happen. And then you're not getting better from last year if PCA doesn't immediately step in and be productive. So, I mean, you wouldn't have Nimmo back if you didn't make that PCA trade is the way I look at it. So Yeah, and I, I know a lot of other uh, Mets uh, prospect huggers will talk about with, with that situation of, we have Alex Ramirez. He's probably going to be a right fielder. It's most it's possible that he will be, especially with his like just frame of how he is. Oh, but... The last question on him, and then I guess we can move on. It's the biggest question we haven't answered. Will he buy a new car, or is he going to stay with the Altum? Does he? He's got the big fat checks now. He's been driving that car since 2010, pulling up in Brooklyn. Will he? Will he finally upgrade to buy a Bugatti? I was talking about this with some other Mets fans. He's the type of guy to buy a mansion and still keep that car because he's a nostalgic guy. He's you know, like I feel like that's something that he might do, but that's just me. It doesn't really matter what car he drives specifically because every time he gets in the driver's seat, he has Jesus take the wheel anyway. So he's fine. <laughs> he doesn't need to worry. He doesn't even need airbags. He's safe. So completely lost in the shades of the Nimmo contract, the Mets also made another addition to the bullpen within the next 10 minutes. David Robertson is back in New York. This time it's in Queens on a one-year deal for $10 million. Robertson is now 38 eight years old has had quite the career since entering in 2008 he was a huge piece of the world series team for the yankees in 2009 and he's continued to remain consistent before getting injured in 2019 with the phillies he worked his way back and he posted yet another great season in 2022 2.40 earn run average 3.58 fielding independent pitching striking out 30.7 percent of batters in 63.2 innings pitched david robertson has now been added to our bullpen most likely going to be the eighth inning guy yeah i mean you know for me personally when it comes to the bullpen uh i go i want brand name i want brand name kind of guys and david robertson is that guy you know you can talk about the advanced age at 38 but if the mets aren't going to discriminate their starting rotation age 
they shouldn't be in the bullpen especially, and that's always kind of been the case. You can see relievers pitching as late as into their early 40s and be fine. It depends on just how they pitch and their stuff. Robertson's obviously had a tremendous career and had a really solid season last year between the Phillies and the Chicago Cubs, and obviously we all were clamoring for the Mets to acquire him at the trade deadline. Um, so to bring him in, a guy that has experience pitching in basically any situation in early in a game, middle game, late in the game, closing games, uh, I think it's obviously just a perfect fit. Um, and like I said earlier, it's like the three legs of a stool. You got Edwin Diaz, you got Rayleigh, and you got David Robertson to build the bridge up to Edwin Diaz. Um, work's not done. Still need to bring in at least, in my opinion, one, maybe even two more surefire relievers. I don't see them going for two. It doesn't seem like Billy Epler's MO. Um, they're going to hope that Drew Smith stays healthy and stops serving up meatballs, which I don't see happening. And maybe they'll bring in one more kind of big-name guy like a Yarbo or maybe like uh, Chafin. But I, at this point, I really don't really see Chafin happening just because I don't really think they'll go two lefties. Personally, I would love two lefties in the pen. But uh, overall, in a nutshell... Robertson in of himself is a great deal. Uh, Ten million off the books next year. Tiago's this year, and take it from there. Frank, I know you've been an advocate for David Robertson to come to the Mets. I'd say you know, I don't know, good year, maybe even two. Uh, longer than that. How you feel? Longer than longer that. Than that. Jeez, I mean, when Christ. he was when he was first available from the Yankees, I wanted to mess with him. So I was back in like 2019. I know he's bad at the Phillies, but another guy went to Tampa Bay, improved, and Look, brand new pitcher. He's a guy that, like Tony said, it's hard to get a reliever who is good year after year after year. We've seen so many guys that the good one year, bad another year. But David Robertson has been a guy that he's just been doing it for so long, like you said, in the playoffs, in New York, all the things you'd want. He'll walk his batters, but you know what? That fastball is spinny, and he will punch out batters. They will whiff, and he just puts up zeros. That is what you need out of your bullpen. Do not let the other team score. Have a good ERA. Old man David Robinson gets old man stats. And as an old man myself, that's why I love him. So I am so glad he's here. And, again, I can't believe one year. I was for sure, for sure, with the way the lever market started off, particularly with the Mets going five, the project, everybody gets three-year deals. I was like, forget Robinson. I'm not giving him multi years. He's too old. It's one at most. And they got him for one. So, again, a really, really nice bar- – not I'll say bargain, but – I have to say, very good move for the Mets all the way around. Because it's like Andrew says, like if he does think, if he goes back to being bad, he's gone next year. Don't have to worry about it. It's not familiar for three years. It's not Batances for two to three years. It's one year, and you'll see what happens. I have a good feeling about him, but if it doesn't go well, he's gone. See, that's what we call a $10 million bargain. Andrew, how do you feel? Yeah, I mean, obviously it got overshadowed because, you know, the greatest center fielder in baseball signs the extension and he just sneaks in the back door. Hey, Robertson's a Met dude. Like, hi, I'm here too. We saw at the deadline that they were heavily interested and we thought, hey, Epler would, be, would pounce to him. And then we see the Phillies give up their prospect and then we find out who the Mets, well, who the Cubs wanted from the Mets. And it would have been Calvin Ziegler was the guy they wanted. And yes, should have the Mets maybe done that, you know, depending on what prospect guy you ask. One hates him, one thinks he could be a quality reliever down the line. You pay nothing and you just give them the cash and you keep the prospect that potentially you could use in another trade or potentially use down the line. So Robertson, again, is a quality setup, man. And like Frank said, the price at one year, 10 million bucks could potentially 
would the Mets double do that same offer to a certain Adam Adovino? Because now you can say you can go to Otto and be like, hey, aging veteran, that's the same thing. One year, I'll give you one year, ten million bucks. We'll give you a raise after your one year, three million dollar deal. I think Otto has a chance of getting a multi year deal, a chance. But now with Robertson, you can say, hey, he's a closer type. He's a better, you know, he had maybe, well, like, statistically, I think Adovino had a better year, but you're comparable to, hey, he got one year, 10 million bucks. Why aren't you taking, you know, you're not worth it to us. And you could say he's a New York guy. So maybe that is like Tony said, I want one more guarantee to finish up the four legs. Diaz, Robertson, Rayleigh, you need that fourth leg. And then maybe you take a chance on a Corey Knable. Maybe you take a chance on Alex Reyes because you would have your four guys set the back end. I will tell you one thing. I was shocked that this wasn't a multi-year deal either. For sure he was going to get a multi-year deal, especially with this reliever market. I'd say it's a steal with the reliever market. He's getting half of what Diaz is paid, getting paid AV-wise to be a guy who was in the top tier of relievers. He was one of the best last year. He may have some iffy command. He may have some back foot. But I will say one thing. That knuckle curve he has... It's got some sex appeal to it. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, it's a veteran for one year who has experience, who has playoff experience. I'm fine with it. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this one year, because we're all talking about time frames, that this one year of David Robertson can be that little stopgap of my man Bryce being the eighth inning guy the next year. And, and I think one more thing that's nice about David Robertson is that he had 20 saves last year. And, and you'd figure that he'd be looking for, like we always talk about, the closer role. He has to sign with a team that's going to guarantee him a closer role. And I think that now the Mets, at the end of the year, they, you know, I talked about it so much, they experimented with Diaz in the eighth. They could do that so much more now because David Robertson has so much experience as being a ninth inning guy. That if they 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 could do Diaz in the eighth as many times as they want when the heart of the order is there and let Robertson have the ninth and, and you're good to go. So it kind of fits that whole th strategic thing that they were doing last year. He's a perfect fit for that. So I also like that part of it too. Now, according to multiple sources, the Mets are extremely high on Kodai Senga. For those of you who don't know, Senga is a 29-year-old pitcher from Japan with electrifying stuff, including a fastball that can reach triple digits and a forkball splitter pitch. I don't even know what the hell this thing is. He has spent 11 years in Japan collecting a 2.42 earned run average, striking out 27.3% of batters face in over 1,300 innings pitched in Japan over those 11 years. The Mets are among teams such as the Rangers, Giants, Red Sox, Cubs, Padres, and they seem to be one of the current front runners at this very moment. I understand that the Mets, they have a lot of stuff they like. I always think it's a bit risky anytime you're going to a guy that's not been in the major leagues before because it's not a perfect one-to-one -one representation of what the conversation face in Japan is like was facing in major leagues. And I also find it weird that like he it looks like the Mets are willing to go six years. And it feels like that's something that they've kind of been trying to avoid with a lot of their deals. We saw so much about that time frame, that two to three years, keep the long-term books clean. It just I just find it weird that the Mets are so high on this guy that he would be the exception. He'd be someone they'd be willing to not do that for. So we'll see. But I think he does fit what we were talking about earlier of like if you could have him as the guy in the middle of your rotation and then you have Carrasco Quintana battle it out, it makes the possibility of training Carrasco more likely. Peterson and McGill become depth. Maybe one or both goes to the bullpen. So it, it can just help your team in a lot of different areas. So I understand what they're going for. Uh, I still wonder, like, what is Chris Bassett looking for? I mean, if he wants three to four, I just think that's a safer bet. 
Um, but I do know that Bassett is older, so I, I guess the fact that Sanga wants more years, it kind of balances out where they finish age-wise. But we kind of thought the same thing with DeGrom and Verlander, where DeGrom at the end would be the same as Verlander now age-wise. So, again, as far as mindset, as far as thought process, I don't think it's exactly consistent. But, I mean, there, there must be a reason why they're so high on him, so I, I guess I would have to trust them. There's definitely a hole in this rotation that still needs to be filled that's left vacant by Chris Bassett. Uh, you know, honestly, as a, in regards to Sanga himself, I'm sorry, but unless you're a professional scout, like, you have no idea how this guy's going to do. Everyone on Mets Twitter saying, please sign Sanga, please sign Sanga. You have no idea. Yes, you could look at his numbers. You could look at all the analytics. You don't know. Unless you are an advanced professional scout that gets paid for that that is your career you don't know how this guy would translate to major league baseball now those people are obviously saying that he will otherwise there wouldn't be so many teams interested in him but that all being said it'd be nice to get him i'm not going to be disappointed if they don't get him especially if it doesn't come at the right cost if he wants six years and it's going to really uproar the entire plan the mets have going for them right now then go and pivot and try to get chris bassett back if chris bassett's asking for too much money or too many years and Sanga seems like a more plausible piece of your puzzle, then go for that. But regardless, I'm not going to sit here and act like I know he's going to be a star in this league or that he's going to be a dud because I don't. I'm just, it's the unknown. If the Mets get him and the cost lines up with the rest of their plans in the future, great. If they don't and they can pivot and get Chris Bassett, I'd be totally okay with that too. Regardless, they do need a guy of that ilk though. The difference between, I think, that fans are not understanding, why aren't you just signing Chris Bassett? Like, yeah, he fit well in that three spot, but it's just the unknown of Kodai Senga that in just is intriguing to us. Why he's got so many teams interested in him. We're like, you know what Chris Bassett is. He's going to be a sub four ERA. He's going to give you a bunch of innings. The unknown of Kodai Senga. He could be a top flight, you know, Shohei Otani level pitcher where he's a number one, number two potential. And the fact that he is 29, he's younger on the market. And just that unknown factor of, hey, if we get him, he could be, you know, a number two and he'd be in our number three spot right now. Am I in love with that idea? Not necessarily. Again, like Tony said, the price is right. But the fact that the Mets have reportedly, if Mayor is put out, the Mets have a five to six year deal already on the table for him. I'm not going to be like, oh my God, they missed out. The upside is there. The fact that Epler has been so enamored by him, kind of maybe like he did when he found Shohei, where he was so has like, he loved Otani to sign Otani and he panned out. The fact that he's like smirking when anyone's saying his name in press conferences and all that, you know, I'm not saying Epler's like this, you know, he finds all these great Japanese talent, but you know, maybe he can hit and go two for two. They sign him and he turns into Yusei Kikuchi in New York. Just going to say, uh, just don't think it's going to be the best mix. From the reports that we're hearing about them wanting to give him a six or seven year deal, well, like, I understand there's like there's the injury concerns about this another option but like Carlos Rodon's the same age like I mean I don't know again I would like for them to prioritize either it's Bassett or maybe bring in a guy like Uvalde. I understand they don't want to lose the draft picks, even though we're already screwed with that so you might as well just go all in with that to me he looks like a reliever from what I'm hearing I don't know like I I don't know what to say at this point. You have to see him at the major leagues. There was also some stuff about talking about how they use very different baseballs in in uh, Japan and stuff like that. Of Maybe that takes a little bit off of his velocity or something. We don't really know how he's going to do against these major league hitters. And I like that at your number three in the middle of your rotation 
nailing it down, you might as well just like the more safer bet might be just having Jose Quintana at the three, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say, and the thing like we're talking about being the three, if Scherzer or Verlander have their injuries, which, you know, Scherzer had plenty last year, he moves up to one or two. So like, that's the thing that you also have got to be when you're picking your number three pitch. That's the other thing you got to be signing up for is that like, if one of the old guys gets hurt, you're next man up. You are the guy that needs to take over. And but and when Max and Jake were out, Bassett literally became the ace. Like, that is something that they also have to be able to do as well. So there's more to it than just be the number three pitcher because number one and two, they're going to make it the whole year. You don't have anything to worry about. No, there are going to be times where they're going to ask you to be the best pitcher on your staff. So is that something he's also capable of? Walk problems and command issues are hard to fix if you're going to be a starter. Like, if you're going to be a reliever, you know, you, you can work around it, get things a little bit better. But, like, as a starter, that's tough. It really is. The Phillies have taken another Mets pitcher. Taiwan Walker has signed a four-year, $72 million deal with Philly. Walker spent two years in Queens and was the tale of two halves for both. Getting an all-star selection in 2021 because every sport needs to be more like the Special Olympics. Going to the Phillies, going to be playing him in division. Most likely will face him a good two, three, maybe even four times. Was it a good decision to let him walk, Andrew? What do you think? I mean, I'm devastated, man. Taiwan Walker, what a guy. Taco salesman, the ace to an extent at times. He was the best pitcher in the rotation at times in the first half of the year. You know, all-star, replaced the greatest pitcher of all time in the all-star game. Like you said, he replaced Jacob deGrom. He's better than Jacob deGrom in 2021 in the first half. Uh, but no, uh, goodbye. I could have cared less. You know, the fact that, most of us, you know, we heard rumors that they wanted Bassett back. They wanted to baby bring back the Grom. We didn't hear anything about this guy. Like, they were ready to kick this man to the curb. And nobody of the insiders was saying, like, oh, Tywan Walker is getting any interest. And then we just pick up one night. Oh, yeah, the Phillies are giving Tywan Walker. And I remember I was watching MLB Network, and John Heyman's on the TV. And he tells me, Tywan Walker to the Phillies. I'm like, okay, I started laughing. Because I'm like, ha-ha, the guy who literally sucks is going to go play in CBP and pitch in CBP, where some of his worst career starts as a Met has happened in that ballpark. But, you know, okay, I'm thinking it's a one, maybe two-year deal. And then Heyman just throws right before off, oh, it's a four-year deal. I'm sitting in this exact spot. My head hit that bat rack. I fell over in my chair, hysterically laughing my ass off that the fact that the Phillies thought, you know what? He's better than Kyle Gibson. Which I'll, give, I'll give him a little bit. He's better than Kyle Gibson, so it's an upgrade for Philadelphia. But the fact that you gave him 72 million buckaroos. So pretty much, he's making more in his two-year career stint, pretty much, as a Met, in one year. He's getting that over four. He's getting four years of that. And I get it. Mets who usually, former Mets who come back, usually kill the Mets. And there's plenty of... You know, stories of like, oh, here's what's it called coming out, even though they killed Matt Harvey and, you know, other some things. Didn't get to face Strowman. Syndergaard was too chicken shit to actually face us. So we couldn't get that a possibility. But the fact that it's not even we're going to face him. The fact we could face him. Citizens Bank Park. I want to play a drinking game. Maybe we, I know we don't do game reactions. Maybe we got to do it just to do a drinking game. How many walks, how many homers, how many fastballs he just throws right down the middle that Alonzo hits. 570 feet off the Liberty Bell. Maybe we'll do that. Good job, your agent. <laughs> but I just, Phillies fans, you think it's a good deal now. When he's serving up nine runs to the Braves, they're going to be like, this dude sucks. Oh, I mean, I, I think he served his purpose. He was a guy that signed so late. 
in the year that the Mets got him. I mean, they were already in spring training by the time he signed here. He was really brought on to be like a depth guy. And I think for him to have his all-star year, last year he finishes 3-5. Plenty of luck involved, no doubt. But for the most part, he did what he had to do. He had plenty of good starts for the Mets in his two years. But what I find interesting is just the fact that like he the Mets didn't give him a QO. And the Phillies basically gave him like four QOs. Like, I'm just very surprised the Phillies did it. Like, I thought, like, I kind of thought they were smarter than that, I guess. Like, there they were clearly red flags involved. You know what I mean? Like Andrew said, he had a problem with Citizens Bank. The Mets didn't give him a QO. They're like, oh, let's give him a QO over the span of four years. It's, it's like if I was a team, I'd be like, hmm, why didn't they give him the QO? You know what I mean? Like, like we were Rodon. Like, why didn't they QO him? You know what I mean? Is it his health? Like, what's going on there? And you want to talk about health. Like, you hope you get four healthy years out of him. I mean, the Mets will face him if he's healthy because this is a guy that, even though he had his injuries with the Mets, it was nothing compared to what happened earlier in his career. I mean, it was so much worse where you couldn't even get, like, even half a season out of him. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, I, I'm just curious to see if Philadelphia, are they going to make him throw his fastball less, throw his fastball more? You know, I'm just curious to see how they go about their usage of him because – you talked about the way they misuse Corey Canable. I just wonder how they're going to utilize him in their pitching rotation. So it's going to be pressure on because that's a team that when you sign Trey Turner and you're in the World Series, they have pretty big expectations. From Philadelphia crowd is a tough crowd, and if he wants to, you know, make excuses and block people on Twitter and things like that, probably isn't the best place. But he just went where the money was, so we'll, we'll see how it ends up working out. All, all things considered, it's, it's going to be interesting. If you couldn't tell, I was a little absent from that conversation. I did hear it in the background, and it was that's all it was to me fodder because Taiwan Walker, good riddance, goodbye. The Phillies are idiots for spending that much on him. Congratulations. Now we all know he's going to come out and shove seven innings of one hit ball against the Mets every time for the next four years, but he'll still have a 4.85 ERA at the end of the year, especially at Citizens Bank Park. That sounds like a nightmare. Good riddance, goodbye, and uh, don't let the door hit you on the way up. I am thrilled. This is like the grit. This is like, you know, I'm Jewish, right? But this is Christmas to me. Like, I am so glad I don't have to deal with this dude. He just gives me an impression that he's not serious at all. Like, he just, and New York is not going to take lightly to that. I'm sure he'll dominate the Mets, whatever, but he's just not that good. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sure he served his purpose for some injuries or whatever, but I'm, I'm a tough customer. I'm sorry. And he pissed me off way too much. All right, so let's get into some rapid-fire story. The Mets traded minor league outfielder Jake Mangum to Miami to complete a trade that sent Jeff Brigham and Eliezer Hernandez to Queens. Mangum was a fourth-round pick by the Mets back in 2019, breaking out in the last two seasons in AA and AAA before his Rule 5 eligibility. The Mets re-signed Sean Reed Foley and Tommy Hunter to minor league deals. Reed Foley, who was acquired in the trade that Steven Matz to Toronto, he underwent Tommy John surgery this year, which ended his season abruptly. Hunter also returns to the Mets for bullpen depth after a quality campaign in 2022 in 22 innings. The Mets rule five draft results. They selected 
a right-handed reliever, Zach Green, in the MLB portion of the Rule 5 draft, a former eighth-round pick by the Yankees in 2019. The Mets also selected a pitcher named Wilkin Ramos, an infielder, Jonathan Arise, outfielder, Augustin Ruiz, and an infielder, Mateo Gill, who was one of the pieces that the Cardinals sent to acquire Nolan Arenado. The Mets' number six overall prospect, Ronnie Mauricio, is destroying the Dominican Winter League. The 21-year-old shortstop has posted so far a 146 OPS plus in 141 plate appearances. Mauricio also has played 61 innings of third base, which scouts have been identifying as his more comfortable position. Trevor Williams has signed a two-year $13 million deal with the Nationals, coming off a breakout campaign with the Mets as a versatile lifesaver all season. Take good care of him, DC. I hate you so much right now because I love Trevor Williams. Last thoughts of episode one. Andrew, I'll start with you. Still got a couple, you know, still got some things to do. Hopefully next time we are discussing, Adam Adovino is back and maybe Kodai Senga is on this roster and then maybe the Mets will be opportunistic in February market. See if there's any stragglers on one year. Yeah, definitely uh, got to add another rotation piece, but I just hope they get somebody that could hit a ball over the fence with just a little bit of frequency. If they can just make one signing in that department, just something because it's, it's not going to happen from within. If the Mets had a power problem last year, they're probably going to have it this year. Unless they're counting on Alvarez and Beatty to fix everything, It's if they're going to have a lot of the same issues that they did last year. So I want to see if they do any, like I said, be opportunistic, even if it's one year. Since they're so over the tax, they could go one year something crazy because it's the same penalty. So, I mean, it's just money at this point, which the owner has plenty of. So I'm curious to see how they go about that. Some pretty good moves. Uh, I think we're pretty close to where we were last year. Could be slightly ahead, could be slightly behind. Not sure exactly. Depends on what you get out of some of the people we've added so far. In the words of Kobe Bryant, job ain't finished yet. What's there to smile about? Job ain't finished yet. There's a lot more work to do still. Frank's on the money about that. Get someone that can hit the ball over the fence with a little more frequency. Andrew as well. Get some uh, stragglers in February. Uh, maybe Kodai Senga right now fill out that rotation job's not done yet but uh so far pretty good results and in the words of me why is james mccann still here that's all i gotta ask